You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. A couple of weeks ago, Karen Smith and I released an episode about becoming a landscape business owner, where we discussed some of the first things you'll need to think about. In this episode, Karen interviews John Corbin, a landscape business coach at Landscapers Coach, to give us a deeper insight into starting a landscape business. If you're thinking of starting a landscape business, or you're trying to upscale your existing business, you'll get a lot out of this episode, and I would encourage you to reach out to John once you've listened to the whole episode to see if he can help you achieve your dreams of creating a profitable business with a happy workforce. Well, hi, John. Thanks for uh, coming along to be interviewed today on the Plants Grow Here podcast. My pleasure, Karen. Okay, so you're a business coach. So would you like to explain what exactly is business coaching? What does it involve? Yeah, it's a good question because I get asked this a lot and I explain to potential clients that it's, it's an education educational system that I provide. I help business owners understand the way to set up their businesses with the right systems and processes, the right strategies, the right methods, so their business can function more effectively and more efficiently. And I don't think anyone has ever, well, rarely has anyone ever helped us or shown us how to set up a business properly. We generally, and I'm speaking for probably 95% of business owners, yeah. we're very ambitious. We have a, an idea. We just think we're providing a great service perhaps to somebody else and we realise that we'd like to be doing it for ourselves and have total autonomy. And so we start our own business. But no one has shown us how to run that business properly. We provide the service and get paid for it. But how we do our marketing and wearing all these different hats, the sales and the quoting and the project management, how we manage our time, how we manage people, how we recruit people, none of that's really ever shown to us. And we do learn, I would think, enough probably by uh, the previous business owner that we work for. But I know that when I first went into business, uh, I was fortunate in that I had... uh, I had my family who I learned from and they were quite successful in business. And so I'd learned a lot just around the dinner table. But it was quite interesting that even then when I was working with my parents for a number of years and then went out on my own, there were still gaps. There were things that I felt that I really didn't know how to structure properly and that's when I went. Eventually I went seeking a business coach as well. Yeah. So anyway, I know that's a long answer, but no, it's not really, and hence the reason that you know there's such a high percentage of people who start a business and it's in twelve months it's no longer. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, it's um, a lot of people think it's going to be easy because they're good at what they do, but you need to be equally as good at all those business skills, or you outsource it. So, And it's a good point because when you start a business, I always say to anyone starting off that you need to have sufficient funds in the bank because you won't break even initially right? just mm-hmm. to take care of 
you know, the tools that you've you've paid for and the running costs of your business and perhaps mistakes that you're making. Let's say in landscaping, you know, on site you might make a few mistakes and it's cost you several thousand or more. Then that eats into your capital. And so that's why I say to anyone, you, you need at least six months, if not 12 months worth of capital there to, to allow you to, you know, if you've had some... Keep your cash flow going. Yeah, if you've had some stressful days or weeks, then, you know, at least you've got money that you can rely on. And of course, after 12 months, if you're not breaking even, well, then there's some big questions. Yeah. Why did you specifically target the landscaping industry? Is there a reason for that or you just kind of fell into it? <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I was seeking some answers to a business that I was running at the time and we were making money but we, uh, we, I felt that, as I said before, there were some answers that I needed. I felt I could, I could structure things differently and understand a few areas of my business and so I went seeking some professional help. Uh, I'd read several books and I'd done shorter courses, but then I felt as though I needed some one-on-one help from somebody and, and found that person. And then I was so impressed with what business coaching offered and I felt that it ticked all the values that I had. And I, it just so happened that at that time, some of my friends who were running businesses could see the difference in the way I structured things and the difference uh, how I was running my business and they asked for my help. They said, could you show me what you know? And, uh, and so that's how business coaching began for me. It was just a part-time thing on a Saturday. And, okay. and then I, uh, that just grew and grew and grew. The more enthused I became with it. And I, uh, at one stage there, I was looking after about uh, 20 different industries. And I, I found it a little stressful just looking after so many different industries. Yeah. And so the answer to your question is I need to specialise. And I was working with somebody who was a horticulturist. She was running a uh, horticulture business at a Bondi and I'd been showing her how to run that business properly and uh, we turned that business around profitably and, you know, we had the right systems there and I thought, wow, there's an industry I wasn't even aware of because I'm not a landscaper. And, uh, and so I... I started thinking to myself, well, I could possibly specialise in this area, and I did. Mm, well, I think you've got a really good niche market there. And uh, yeah. like we were saying earlier, people think, oh, look, I'm really good at my craft and, and I'm very skilled in this and I can go out on my own. And, and often a lot of businesses start out small, but they don't realise that they have to be develop a lot of skills. You know, they've got to be the business manager and do their own advertising or marketing, bookkeeping, the whole kit and caboodle. And I think in my experience, I've certainly come across a lot of people that say, oh, you know, say, where's your invoice? Oh, you know, I'm too tired to do the invoices. Well, you know, if you're not doing your invoices, what's the point? So it's it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? So, Well, it's, as you said before, it can appear to be really glamorous or it can appear to be very exciting to be running your own business. But I don't think a lot of people realise the, the amount of responsibility and what's involved in, in wearing all these different areas of responsibility. So, 
So it's not just providing the service that they're used to, it's so much more. Mm. And so, you know, that good old advice about uh, doing what you're good at and outsourcing the rest, get the experts in to do your marketing or, I mean, when you're a small business, sometimes you don't need to advertise because you get a lot of word by mouth. But I suspect if you're wanting to grow your business and be, you know, up there with the with the big boys, you need to really look closely at your business, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And, and can I just say there too that you don't have to be up there with the big boys. I, It's often a, a remark that a lot of my clients or potential clients have said to me that I know you've coached, you know, some very good landscapers in our industry and horticulturists in our industry, but I don't want to be that big. And I said, well, you don't have to be. No. You know, it's it's about your vision and what you want to create. All I'm going to do is help you achieve those goals that you're setting for yourself and overcome the frustrations through better systems and processes and you understanding how your business should operate. Yes, so, I must I must say I've spoken to a lot of people that are at the crossroads where do they take that next step, grow the business a bit more, or do they just fine-tune what they're doing? And and sometimes the profit's not much different, less headaches, you know, yeah. stay, stay smaller. Yeah, and, and when I say, say stay smaller, it really just depends on, on your age and whether you're, you're back, especially in landscaping. Can you, can you remain on the tools? And so if someone's you know, perhaps in their early 40s and thinking, look, I can't do this anymore, because mm. you know, it really is a young man's industry in terms of being on the tools. Yes. You know? So I think in your 40s, you know, you're probably thinking, I need to be overseeing this. And so what I do with a lot of my clients, I help them be off the tools, make enough money in terms of wage and profit to be able to run a business like that. And it doesn't have to be a big business. Yeah. It's just through understanding critical numbers and understanding quoting. And then once we understand quoting and project management, then we we start understanding the sales process and how you how you how you sell that quote. So there are different facets to it, but it's it's all manageable and it's not difficult. It just yeah. takes time. Yes, and, and, you know, you're right about the physical side of, of landscaping. It does take its toll, like a lot of builders, you know, like bricklayers and, and tilers and, and the like, you know, sooner or later the body, the body can't keep up. So, you know, what do you do or what do you advise to your clients that are at that crossroads and ready to take the next stage? You know, you often hear them saying, oh, look, I'd like to, but nobody's going to be as good as me. Mm. Or, uh, you know, how, how do I get someone that's going to have the same passion and drive that I've got? What do you say to those people? Yeah, it's a really good point because I, I think just in life in general, we, we, we tend to limit ourselves in terms of what we attract just through our belief system or what we say. And so I'll say to somebody, well, how do you know you can't attract that person that's as good as you? And they don't have to be as good as you, you know. If they're 80% as good as you, that's enough. You know, you can teach them your systems, the way you do things, do, do things as long as they've got the passion. You yeah. know? So I think you really do want to employ people with passion for the industry. There's no, there's little point otherwise, especially if they're on the tools and looking after clients. 
whether it be horticultural, landscaping or construction, they've got to have a real interest in it. Otherwise, you'll always be struggling with it. So you do want to attract someone with passion. But I think we can, we can limit ourselves or we can, we can be the obstacle by, by saying, hey, look, it's so hard to find people. What chance have I got? And I'll say, well, you can find people. And I know it because this year and last year during COVID, with my clients, we've, we've found people that were good for them, you know, in terms of key people that had that passion. So it is possible. Yeah. It's just that you, if you are advertising on Seek or doing what everyone else is doing uh, and finding you're not getting a result, well, you know, everyone else is out there doing the same thing. So you've got to think outside the square a little as well. Mm. And what about the people who think, worry that uh, the person they do uh get on board to uh, run their businesses, better, do a better job than they do. Does that happen? Yeah, it does. And I, I would welcome that every day of the week because then you've got a second person who's as good as you and maybe better. And so that makes your business twice as strong in terms of now with all that responsibility you have, you can let go of an area in your business and say, hey, look, you can run this area for me, you know, managing projects or running these projects for me or being the maintenance manager or whatever it may be. So I think it's a big plus to be able to have somebody that's as good as you. Uh, So I don't think we should be concerned about that at all. No. Because remember, they're working for you. It's not the other way around. And if you're you're concerned that, well, you know, if they're as good as me, then they can start calling the shots, well, then you you haven't employed the right person because you want to employ somebody who has passion that has the right values or similar values to you. Sure. Not someone with a massive ego. And no. and then you do want to reward them. You want to make sure that they're financially rewarded so they want to stay with you as well. Yes. And so so why is it important to ensure that you give employees a bit of responsibility and autonomy? So not just your managers, but your employees generally. Yeah, I think everybody welcomes uh, responsibility and autonomy so they're, they're free within reason to run a job or manage their role and I always throw it back on back to somebody who's asking me that question or concerned about that I'll say to them well have you ever been micromanaged what did that feel like you know you've yeah you felt so one that the the owner of the business didn't trust you and didn't trust your ability and so they were micromanaging you and so immediately, if you feel that they're not trusting you, well, there's going to be friction. Mm. And so that's why I think you, you want to be very clear about what the role is and then teach that person the systems or show that person the systems that you operate by, but also be, be free in your, in your approach that if that employee decides to do things a little differently, but end up with the same result and you're happy with that, then please allow it, you know, because there are two different ways to do things often. So that's why uh, I would say, you know, you definitely want to give them some some responsibility or autonomy. I'm sure there's cases where they will do that task in their own way and it could actually be more efficient than the way you've done it yourself. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, you can learn from them as well, especially, you know, younger people are coming through with different ideas and 
you know, you might be a bit stuck in your ways of the way you've always done it. So, you know, learn from them as well. Yeah, so we could be closed in our approach and say, look, there's only one way to do this, but there isn't. You know, there's often another way. And if we're open to allowing that to happen and allowing someone to show us a different way, then, as you said, they'd be more motivated to be doing it their way but still ending up with the result that you desire. Yes, and quite likely they may have worked for another organisation that that uh, they've picked up those skills from that are maybe marginally better than what you've done or, or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of a person that said he went and worked for a, an organisation and, and he this young guy had worked in the States and worked in Africa and, and France and, and had a lot of experience. And he more or less got put right in his place when he suggested um, doing things a little bit differently and, and eventually he just went and started his own business. Mm. So, you know, they, they could have had a a really good, and, and this is working in a big production nursery. So, you know, not landscaping, but the, the skill sets still need to be adopted sometimes and... Um, and taking advantage of, you know, if he's offering to do things differently and more efficiently, why why wouldn't you go down that path? Anyway, yeah, it's a good it's a good yeah. point. But so so hopefully, you know, more and more people adopt that approach, especially with the challenges that are happening with, in recruitment at the moment in this industry. Mm. You know, we are definitely finding it more difficult. It's not easy to find somebody, that's for sure. But we, we do make it hard for ourselves, as I said before, or harder for ourselves just by doing yeah. the same thing we've always done and, yes. and by thinking that there's nobody out there when there is. Yeah, if nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if a business owner is planning to scale up their business, are there particular systems and processes that you would gradually work them through so that they can make that transition fairly smoothly yeah for upscaling yeah yeah I think you'd have to in terms of upscaling it's it could be that let's say you run a construction a landscape construction business and the average job that you've been winning and building has been 30,000 and all of a sudden you're thinking well we're now winning $50,000 jobs and $60,000 jobs so what I'd like to do is win more of those and then bring on an additional team. Mm. So I always say that it's the fundamentals we need for upscaling. Uh, or f- and it's not even just upscaling, it's just for managing a business. You need your fundamentals in place. And what I mean by that is understanding your critical numbers in, in the financial area. Mm-hmm. So understanding your profit loss and how that operates and what your what your major expenses are. In a landscaping business, you have four major expenses uh, being the materials and your subcontractors, your site wages, and then your overheads or expenses of running costs of your business. And in a horticultural business, maintenance business, you have all of those bar one, so you drop the sub subcontractors, you wouldn't have those expenses. And so understanding what they are 
as a percentage in relation to your income is really important because once you understand that, then you understand how to quote. Yes. And so I, I take everyone through these fundamentals initially and saying, here's the model for this particular business, being a maintenance business or being you know, an, for an arborist or being for a construction, landscape construction business. Once they understand those, then it's so easy to quote because we understand what the major expenses are and what the percentage of each job should be in terms of the contract sum and then what should my material cost be. And then when you're upscaling, you need to understand those two areas. Then you need to understand how a project should be managed and how how many employees you would need to manage a project or for a project. So if you're upscaling just in terms of a larger job, fundamentals still apply. Mm. But then you'd also have to plan. If, you, if you're doing this, you're managing your jobs well and you're making the profit you should be, then cash flow shouldn't be a problem. Mm. But if it is, you can also ask your bookkeeper to set up a cash flow forecast for you. And that balances, that's forecasting money coming in, money going out, mm-hmm. in other words. So, yeah. so that's, that's additional. Um, I don't often do that with a lot of my clients because we get these fundamentals right in the first place. Well, it's critical, isn't it? Yeah, we get those right. And so then we can sort of manage it you know, just by we view the profit loss every month and we, we're making sure that we follow up on, on payments making sure the payments are coming in. And if they don't, then you don't proceed with the job. You stop the job until the client pays. Yeah. And that and that's really where you have to have, that's where you need to outsource so that you've got somebody chasing up all that. If, 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 if you're not the person doing it, you, you want somebody to alert you to the fact that, well, so-and-so hasn't paid this account. And, you know, there, there's plenty of ways that you can do that as well, isn't there, that you can outsource that type of material or book to oh, papers or... Yeah. Absolutely. But if you're a small operator and you're just a team of one, uh, sorry, a team of three, the owner's on the tools, then he can pretty much manage that, you know, from site, you know, in terms of, all right, well, I, I can't proceed until you pay this bill. But he, yeah. he generally have a good, a good relationship with the client anyway. Yes. Hopefully had those discussions with the client at the, at the initial consultation about the payment plan or you know how they get when when it's expected the payment will be, or whether it's in part payments or whatever. Yeah, that's a really good point. So having a contract, or even if it's a contract that your solicitor has made up, if it's not one from an association, mm-hmm. like the Landscape Association, and if if you if you've got that document, yeah, then you would really need to. It's pretty important to have that document actually. And then have the client agree to that and sign that document, you know, so they're aware of the payment plan, the terms and conditions. Yeah. And even even for, uh, it needs to be a simplified docu- document for a maintenance business. Yes, yes. Well, you know, you often speak to people who have had problems. I know a lot of people in the building industry have had big problems with, uh, contra- you know, their contracted workout and, and haven't been paid and it's almost, you know, sent them under. So mm. if you haven't got those systems in place, and, and it doesn't even matter if it's a really small business, as you say, well, even if you're just turning up for maintenance once a fortnight, 
you know, do you expect to be paid on the day or do they do a funds transfer that day or within the week or 30 days or whatever it is that's your terms and conditions? If, mm. if they have all those systems in place, they don't tend to get as many problems. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's so right. And you asked uh, the question about outsourcing. I think, yeah, it's very important to outsource wherever you can. So in terms of having a bookkeeper to to manage your books for you and even follow up on some of the payments they can do you know additional admin work for you like that yes you'd probably hang on to the invoicing and let them do the rest they can even do payments for you of your your employees Mm. and then having a good good accountant to also advise yeah and there's so many good cloud-based programs now like zero and myob that you can uh that you can use to give you an idea of your cash flow and 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 draw your invoices through them, all sorts of things. So I'm I'm absolutely hopeless at that myself. So I outsource it. Yeah, it was one of the first things I outsourced as well. I just made sure I understood my numbers. Yeah. Back when I started a business, and then I uh, I outsourced all of it to a bookkeeper. Because mm. I just felt that my my time was best spent on the things that. I was good at and that could yes. could drive the business and I was good at sales and running the business and, and managing the employees. So they were the key areas for me. Yeah. Look, the time that it would take me to do all my book work, I was so slow at it that I it was just ridiculous for me to be doing it. So when whereas someone else can do it and do it really quickly and efficiently, so you might only be paying for a few hours a month. So it's it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what about staff, managing staff? There's all sorts of complications with with doing that. I know you've written some terrific articles for the Hort Journal on, on managing staff. So, uh, yeah, choosing the right person. What's your advice there? What <laughs> sort of things to look for? Yeah, it's – I always say do the prep first and the prep is – What's the position that I'm advertising? And have a document that states all the responsibilities for this person. So you're clearly clearly aware of these are the boundaries, this is what I'm expecting from this person. And even in that document, I've written up so many of these for this industry. And what we put in it also would be what I call a KPI. It's a, a measurable, so something that... We can measure their performance by on a monthly basis. So let's say if it's somebody somebody managing a a project, or let's say they're a foreman and they're also managing a project, a KPI might be that we've quoted this job to this budget and this many man hours. And so that's what we expect you to do, you know, and so we put it in as a KPI, managing the the projects in accordance with our budget per job. So we we formulate that document and it's called the position agreement. So we understand what the position is. And then we also think about if we advertise for this person, how do we make the ad sound a bit more compelling? And so we we draw up a and write up a, a compelling ad. And then 
that's usually placed on seek or something. You know, could be any of those. Seek seems to be the most effective. But we also look at other ways to advertise for that person. And so I won't go into that because that wasn't the question. But so we're, what we're doing is we're preparing ourselves. Again, the, these are the processes that make up the system for recruitment. So we understand this is the role that we're advertising for. And then what are the, what are the values? What are we looking for in this person? And so it'd be good to be clear about those as well. And then in order to be able to find that person, and I think this is done too often, a, a business owner will have somebody respond to the ad. They'll speak to them over the phone. The person has a bit of experience and they employ them. <laughs> or they say, start on Monday pretty much without really going through the interview process and they find after a week or two that the person's not right. But it's because there's a desperation in bringing somebody yeah. on. And I say, now take your time and speak to this person and ask them enough questions over the phone. And if you find that you've qualified them over the phone and they potentially could be the person with enough experience and they're answering your questions the way you would want them to or had hoped they would, then call them in for a, for a proper interview. Yeah, good advice. And that interview would be some hypothetical questions as well. So I always say to any business owner, don't talk too much. Let, let, the, let the recruit or the uh, applicant, let him answer your, answer your questions, but do most of the talking because you don't want to be feeding him information he just agrees with it. And then yeah. you think, oh, yeah, I like this guy. He seems to be right. So that is key in, in finding the right position, but it's challenging because there's a lot of desperation in finding the right person. Yeah. But as you said, that's really good advice, what you just said about getting them to do a lot of the talking because if you're just feeding them information and they're agreeing with you, well, it's very easy to be agreeable when you're in that position. You want to get a little bit more information about their skill sets or their knowledge or their personality. So you can often get a you know pretty good gut feeling with people if you draw information out of them. Absolutely. And so I, I wrote up uh, about uh, 20, 25 to 30 questions. And then we, we, pick about, we pick about 12 questions with each client for the interview process. But we make sure there's some hypotheticals in there. And what I mean by that, of course, would be a question about you know, somebody turning up late, for example. It might be an apprentice. He turns up late on a Monday morning. He seems to be a little you know, hung over, what do you say to it, you know? So mm. questions about to give you an idea as to how this person would manage staff or how do you, how do you inspire your staff? What do you do mm. on, a, on a daily basis, you know, or inspire your crew? Because you, you want to dig a little bit and find out what's, what's beyond the surface. And it's questions like that that, uh, you know, will allow you to discover yeah, something a little different perhaps. Plus I think when you're working in a, you know, reasonably, even big big landscape companies, it's still a relatively small team of people as opposed to maybe working in a corporate area. And if someone's not a team player, it can really upset the boat. You yeah, know, exactly. you get somebody in who's, they're not pulling their weight, everyone else gets bit put out and it 
it can become a bit of a bad apple, can't it? Yeah, it becomes that sort of toxic energy that, you know, the other guys, the other crew members don't want to work with and they feel yeah. there's frictions building. And if it's not addressed, then it becomes a very uncomfortable situation for everyone. Mm. So it needs to be addressed immediately, you know. And, yeah, and, definitely. And honestly, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you're not sacking him. All you're saying to him is, you know, like, here's, here's the situation find out what the underlying reasons for it are and then a way of solving it together. Mm. Yeah, I'm talking about the owner talking to, you know, whoever, the, and it might be the, you know, the person that's not managing, it might be the site supervisor who's not managing, you know, the crew very well. Yeah. And so it's not an easy area and not everybody's good at it, mm. but they can be taught if they're willing to learn. Yes, well, hopefully you get some of those questions out at the interview stage, as you said, if you can draw information out about that sort of thing. You can usually get a, an idea by their response and if they're enthusiastic. So what about for the people who do work really hard? Do you believe in rewarding staff and, you know, what would be a suitable reward for people who go a bit beyond what's expected? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the profit share system. Okay. And and so we've structured, well, I've structured a, a profit share for both maintenance businesses and, and landscape construction businesses. And it's all based on performance and all based on the profit, the net profit per job. So maintenance is a little different, but we we have a model that works for maintenance as well. And so we... We offer, we offer profit share that's manageable and measurable. And so the employees understand exactly what the targets are. And so this is in addition to their wage, so their gross wage. And they get paid that over, they get paid that annually. It's not monthly. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One major reason being, especially in landscape construction, that the job wouldn't have been finished by the end of the month and sometimes it can take several months sure so we just let it accumulate but we communicate to the employees exactly what that building profit share is and they um so that's the incentive program that i've i've been running for a number of years the i'm not a big fan of the you know the sort of one-off bonus at christmas and, you know because it's not a it's it's just a christmas bonus so you pay a Christmas bonus and then if you pay it one year and not the other, then the employees are thinking, well, why don't I get it this year? Yeah, yeah. So it need, there needs to be consistency and there needs to be criteria and that's why the profit share system works. And I want to say also there that I'm not a fan of the evaluation, you know, the yearly evaluation. Yeah. I find what works better would be a development plan. I've created that based on skill set and and attitude and the way the the employee manages themselves and chats and communicates with other crew members, etc. So we have some criteria that we we rate and we we also get the employee to to rate themselves on all this criteria. Yeah. And then we come together and we formulate a plan over over three or four months. It could be quarterly or it might be every four months. Basically, to 
help them in certain areas. So we're highlighting certain areas where they could improve. And we also look at their goals for the year. And, and we found that this system has really worked a treat. It's really worked well because they feel that they're appreciated. They feel that they've got their own own personal plan. Yeah. You know, on a, every three months where the, the site supervisor or the owner of the business sits with them and discusses you know, how they're doing and then plans the next three months. I think that's a great idea because, you know, if those sorts of incentives are not there, what what is there to drive people? And 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 look, some people are highly self-motivated, but a lot aren't. So sometimes you do need to dangle a bit of a carrot and uh, make them feel like they're, they're following a career path or they actually are, you know, so they're learning as they go rather than just turning up for work each day and getting their pay packet at the end of the week. It's um, hugely important. Totally agree. And something else that we do, we I like to know what the vision, the five-year vision for my clients are, where, where are you headed in the next five years, what will your business look like yeah. in five years' time. So we're sort of setting goals from day one. And, and I thought, well, there's no reason why we can't achieve that. It's all manageable, you know. Uh, we just need to have the right systems in place, which we... We will have over time, but that vision is also. I encourage every client to communicate that vision to the employees every year, just to let them know that this is where we're headed and this yeah. is what we're going to be working on this year. And so they feel like they're part of this vision, and this is how the business will grow. So we we don't keep them in the dark as far as hey, we're a we're a a, in it, I like to think of it as a second family. It's like their second family. They spend so much time at, at your business. Yes. But they want to feel part of this vision and also appreciate it. Yeah. And so we, we also include bonding sessions and we plan the whole year basically with trainings and bonding sessions and all sorts of different things that can you know, keep these guys in, in, enthused and part of the collective group. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting, which brings me to another question about the employer. How important is it having a good attitude when you're run, you're the person running the business and, and dealing with your staff? And, you know, not, not all employers are as motivated as their staff. <laughs> Occasionally, yeah. of course, you know, that, that does happen and, and people then move on. And, and I often hear people say, oh, you know, I get somebody and then, they only ever stay a year or so. Well, maybe you're not making it, you know, an ideal job for them. It's a really important point. I think attitude's everything. Yeah. It's it's critical. I would always employ somebody over attitude, even if they don't have a skill set. I'd much rather teach them the skill set. But if they've got the attitude I'm looking for, then that's 70% of it for me. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe even more. So attitude's... You know, they say attitude's everything, but it's it's very, very important. So having the right attitude is important because it affects every part of your business. Mm-hmm. If you wake up in the morning feeling good about going to work, then everyone you meet is, is going to feel refreshed having met you today. But if you know, you're grumpy, you got out of the grumpy side of the bed, you know, and you're not happy with what you're doing, you're not happy with the fact that you lost this job and you're not happy that you can't find the right staff, and, and it's raining, then, you know, how's anyone going to feel yeah. meeting you? <laughs> so it affects, every, it affects every part of your business. 
yeah. if you front up to sell a job, you know, and you're, you know, there's a an underlying, you know, grumpiness, you know, how is that client going to feel? Oh, yeah, yeah, for oh, sure. I want to turn my back to this person. God, I've left jobs because I haven't liked the attitude of the owner. Absolutely. You know, like, and in big, big organisations as well, you know, like I just think, I don't, just don't want to be around that person anymore. You know, you're, 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 you spend a lot of your life working. So why would you want to work for someone that has a bad attitude? So, and we're all connected, you know, we can feel somebody's angry energy or grumpiness even before they open their mouth. You'll see it in their body language. You'll see it by the way, you know, their mannerisms, uh, the look on their face, even if they are trying to smile. Mm. So it's it's hard to hide it. So I yes. think what I'm saying there is that we really need to uh, rethink our attitude if we're not getting the results we want. Mm. You know, if we don't have the the outcome or the situation or we repeatedly have problems with staff members. So I always say you're 100% responsible for your business. And that even means that if you have somebody, you have staff members that are aggravating you, I always said look at yourself first. What are you Mm. doing to also Mm. infuriate them or annoy them or cause this situation? Um, And if you've looked at it, you're fairly reflective and fairly honest with yourself and say, look, I've done everything I possibly can no, this is the wrong person for this position, then fair enough. But be honest with yourself and say, what can I do to change this? Because I believe we can. Oh, I remember working for a person who always used to say, so goes the leader, so goes the group. In other words, mm. if, you're, if you're the person in charge and you've got a positive attitude, you know, people tend to follow your lead. So, I mean, it's a bit of common sense, I suppose. It's just I guess some people don't have common sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think I had to learn this because I used to get angry with you know, various employees. I had a you know company and we had 16 employees. I used to get angry. And and I was only in my sort of mid-20s at the time and I, I had to learn this, you know, and it wasn't until I, I started reading books and doing courses about it and understanding, hey, you're responsible for this, so change your own attitude you know, to the way that you're conducting your business. And that's when I started to see changes. Yeah. I went seeking some help, basically, because I, you know, I wasn't ticking all the boxes. Hmm. Oh, well, it was good that you saw that and uh, made adjustments. So that's good advice to anybody, really. So I hate to use the C word, but COVID has been... has had a big impact on everyone for the last two years and I'm, you know, just about every month in my magazine I've got to write something about COVID so <laughs> I am a bit over it. But ha- have you seen a positive or negative impact on any of your clients and have you had to help people overcome certain issues because of COVID? Look, the industry has fared really well during this two-year period and as you know, you know, anyone that, you know, the the housing market, the you know, look at the way prices are just you know, going up repeatedly you know, the last you know, 18 months. Yeah. But also the fact that you know, we've been isolated and we've been at home, so we're spending money on our homes. And as a result, landscaping, you know, the green industry's done very well. Yeah. So, so in terms of inquiries, 
it hasn't been a big issue. But in terms of, I think we were all a bit confused, you know, back and we didn't know what was happening back in March last year, uh, not last year, the year before, 2020. Um, and then once we started to have a better understanding of what was happening, um, I think the, the only big challenges have been lockdown, but lockdown have only been really for the industry uh, short-lived. The um, So initially, I remember in March 2020 and April, jobs were put on hold because clients that had committed to jobs also thought, well, what's happening here with this pandemic? Uh, but once that sorted itself out, we knew where it was headed. We, I haven't seen major problems. Staffing's been progressively a, a challenging area, and it hasn't just been the last two years, but it's probably more pronounced in the last two years. Yeah. Because you know we're finding it it's it has been challenging in terms of recruiting you know the right employees. Uh, it's not impossible; you can still find people. But that's probably been one of the tougher areas. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand how that could happen because, as you say, everyone's been home and decided to get uh, work done around the home or in the garden and do all sort of spend their holiday money on their homes and that type of thing. So, I should imagine getting good staff would be and, and skilled people to to do those jobs is uh, wouldn't have been easy. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think just all the typical problems with COVID and the government and, you know, at various times we didn't know really what was happening from week to week in terms of what were the restrictions. But mm. but everyone suffered that and I think this industry suffered a lot less than others. Yeah, I think it was kind of our turn to have a good, a good result, I suppose, because in horticulture and landscape generally we've you know we've been through a decade of drought and water restrictions it was time for a for a yeah. change and of course yeah, now absolutely. we've got the opposite we've got too much rain or too much bushfires the whole kit and caboodle you know we we sort of do it tough a lot of the time so it's really been nice to hear that a lot of businesses have thrived yeah absolutely so, so is there anything else that you'd like to say or advice that you give people who uh, are thinking about starting a business? I would say get some advice from somebody that runs a successful business. Like if you have a family member who runs a successful business, a friend of, a, of, of the family, a, somebody you know that you could go and chat to. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had guys that ring me and I'll happily take the call and, and say to them, well, look, this is what I'd be considering, you know, if I was you. Making sure, one, I said before, you have the funds, uh, what you would need, so it would be good to do a budget to see, okay, well, how much money will I need to start this business? And then what could I possibly need if it, if I, if it doesn't go the way I want it to, you know, in terms of how do I stay afloat for the next 12 months? And then when you have a, an understanding of that, whether it's, you know, a... You know, as I said, a family member or somebody else to assist you with this, then I would also suggest that these sorts of questions that you've been asking me and I've been answering would be other things that I'd be considering, having some yeah. sort of understanding that, hey, it's not just a service I'm providing. How would I be, you know, what would I be doing for my, the sales process? What's, what's zero and what's the zero app? Do I need to understand that? So 
understanding the picture overall would be a, a lot better than just sort of going in blinded. Yes. So I think it's sometimes just a good good hour and a half uh, chat with a couple of guys that run a successful business mm. is, is a good way to start. Mm. My accountant always says play a video in your head, visualise yourself going off to a job or off to do a quote or off to meet a client and so that you try and visualise all the things that are likely to happen. So even doing that with a business plan, you know, think of yourself yeah. on the job and, and what things that you need. So. I always hear that ringing in the back of my head from my accountant. Play the video. Yeah, and and people don't do a business plan as such. They were 20-page documents back when I was running a business. And I remember doing it and thinking, wow, this is a lot of work. But it was was great to do it because I realised how much I didn't. Yes. And how much I needed an answer for. But even if you don't do that, understand marketing, understand what you would need, you know, how, you know, to set up uh, Instagram, what you would need in terms of this document, you know, on the contract for the client or what would be the payment plan, what would be the sales process, mm. you know, et cetera. So, yeah, any of these areas that you could, uh, and you mentioned videos, so you can get a lot of this information on YouTube. Yes, yes, amazing what you can get today. I wish it had all been around when I started my business <laughs> all those years ago, but. So as a new business in particular, like I should imagine for you, you you would get a lot of work through word of mouth, the fact that you're, you know, you're out there and you write for like the Hort Journal and other industry magazines or what have you. Do you believe that networking is something that all business owners should do or, you know, attend networking events, expos or hooking up with strategic alliances? Yeah, I do. I um I'm a big fan of the strategic alliances mm-hmm. and that simply means, you know, if you, if you provide a service and it might be a maintenance business or a landscape construction business, you ask the question, who already has those clients that I'm seeking uh, where they provide a service that's different to mine? So, for example, it might be a designer who designs a landscape backyard yeah. that would be perfect for a construction company. You know, the landscape construction company could form that alliance with that person. Yes. The same thing with maintenance businesses. You'll see some of them go to real estate offices, you know, because they already have that database of clients. So strategic alliances, yes, big fan. When it comes to networking, I'm, I'm a member of a few associations in, you know, the association, Victorian Landscape Association, the the, the Sydney one, New South Wales uh, Association here in, uh, in New South Wales. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of those associations because I've seen what they provide. Yes. You know, it's, it's strategic information, it's technical information, suppliers provide information. They have events on a you know, sort of bi-monthly basis that you can attend. And then your peers will be there as well. Some of your competitors will be there and you can chat about some of the issues that you're having and, and discuss it. So it's a great opportunity to be part of those associations. The Horticulture Association is another one you know, that you're yeah. aware of, of course. And yeah. so I'm a big fan of all of those. And I think attending their networking events, absolutely. Yeah. It's good for your professional development as well. Oh, absolutely. And and for your staff, you know, like send send your staff along to some of these events and 
you know, it's amazing. Like every time I go to something, I, I take something away from it, you know, in information or, you know, product knowledge or whatever. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a strong believer in that myself. So I heard a business advisor say that you should always treat your business as if it's up for sale because then you'll always have it running efficiently and, and of course, having a succession plan because, you know, you never know what things could happen if something happens to you, you get injured on the job or whatever. So do you advise people on that as well in their businesses? Well, we do that anyway when I'm when I'm coaching someone, we create all these systems. So somebody, the owner, could eventually be off the tools and and then even take that a step further. He could, we set it up with all the processes and structures where he could then take a three-month break from the business and have his team running it. So ultimately, that's what we aim for. Sure. So, yeah, that's the succession plan as such, you know. So I think it, it fundamentally that's what you really want to be doing in your business anyway, having these, these structures and systems and processes so things happen regardless of who's responsible for a position. If that person leaves, then we know exactly how this next person that's taking over that position, what they should be doing and how they should be doing it because we've already set up the processes and structures. Sure. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that. Absolutely. And also, you know, you want to be prepared if someone comes along and offers you a, a mozza for your business to sell it, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you could say, well, Always yeah, a nice that, thought, right? yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay, so is there anything else that you'd like to add as far as uh, coaching uh, before we finish up for the day or for the uh, podcast? Yeah, I've been doing this for this industry for since 2008. So, you know, now going on 14 years and I offer one-on-one coaching, but I think this year I'll be offering um, a video series and it will be a video coaching program where I'll also offer assistance via via Zoom and a a group meeting so I can, you know, sort of, so it's a, a more affordable coaching process and program for a greater number of perhaps uh, horticulturists and landscapers that were thinking, oh yeah, I could, I, I could be interested in that. So, so that's uh, how it will change a little for me this year. You know, in terms of, and we're we're filming these videos at the moment, so they're not quite ready, but they'll be ready by mid-year, and then I'll uh, I'll start advertising those as well. But I find that quite exciting. You know, just yeah, yeah. something that I can offer. You know, um, both in New Zealand and Australia. I was just going to say that you can really stretch your reach, well, worldwide, really. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's uh, there's certain strategies, regardless of of what country you live in, that uh, apply to business. So, all right. So, very, very last question: Is there anything you'd like listeners to know? Like it, it could be, you know, something that you would like to share, whether it's a charity or uh, an event or something like that. Just doesn't have to be related to landscaping or coaching. Charity. Well, look, I, I do give to a few charities, Salvation Army and and Greenpeace. Mm-hmm. I just find that I'm I'm becoming more and more aware of the state the planet's in, you know, and I think it's a major issue, especially 
it's, you know, we're aware of it here in Australia, we're here everywhere, but I think that's the big challenge, you know, over the next you know, decade. Definitely. And so I'm, I'm aware of that. I don't feel like I do enough. You know, I'm not actively involved enough in that. But more and more as the days progress, you know, like in, in, I don't live a sustainable life in, in, in that sense. I, but I, I'm more careful of what I buy and, you know, how I, what I throw out. And, but that's an area that I feel as though I'll be spending more time on. Good. Because I, it's just, you know, we're not leaving the planet in a great state. No. Know? And I know that we can easily, easily throw it back on the politicians and say, look, we shouldn't be burning fossil fuel, et cetera. But I think we all need to contribute to this, mm. you know, just For take sure. responsibility. So Yeah, everyone, if everyone does their little bit. Yeah, so. Cut back on your plastics. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Sort of something that. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more aware of now, especially just with the changes that are happening around, you know, around the planet, you know, with these the floods and the cyclones and yep, tsunamis. The, you know, the bushfires and the tsunamis, mm. absolutely. Terrible. All right. Well, I think on that note, I'd like to say thank you very much, John, for joining me today. It's been great and I'm sure we'll speak again sometime in the future. Yeah, thanks, Karen. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak on your podcast. So thank you for that. No problem. Okay, thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to create a large landscape business, you can't do it on your own. You're going to need help from competent and motivated staff, and you're also going to need to seek the advice of people who've walked the path before you. Check out the show notes for links to John's Landscapers Coach business please consider following and subscribing to this podcast. We create content that helps people advance their horticultural and landscaping career while keeping it accessible for people that aren't in the industry yet.